You're going to love this. Just love it. What's not to love? Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast. As heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast. Coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, other affiliates in parts unknown, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for a, uh, a a special edition of the Bradcast, a special edition of the most useful radio program ever devised by man or beast. Uh, it is our uh, GOP Republican debate coverage. That's right. Uh, some 30 or 40 Republican candidates gathered last night in Simi Valley at the Ronald Reagan Library, the beautiful Ronald Reagan Library up in Simi Valley. Uh, at least it's beautiful on the outside and the lobby. As far as inside, I don't know, because when I tried to go there, they charge almost 30 bucks a head to go to a, uh, a Republican presidential uh, library, which I kind of find outrageous. But we're not here for me to complain about prices. Well, maybe we will. We'll see. Uh, we've got uh, two uh, fantastic guests here with you uh, with us today. Uh, two of my favorite, actually, and happy to have both of them back. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get right to it. Uh, we are joined by Heather Digby Parton, our old friend, also known as Digby from Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She is, of course, a contributing writer to Salon and to the 2014 and is the 2014 recipient of the Sidney Hillman Foundation's Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. We will have uh, some of that prized opinion and analysis journalism today. Hey, Heather, welcome back to the broadcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Brad. Delighted to have you here, as always. And, uh, oh, very excited about this. Haven't had him on uh, for quite a while, but Fred Carger is joining us today. He is uh, formerly a Republican political consultant, a gay rights activist, and a 2012 candidate for the Republican presidential nomination. That's right. Uh, he worked on nine presidential campaigns, served as a senior consultant to the campaigns of Presidents Ronald Reagan, you may have heard of him, George H.W. Bush, and Gerald Ford. Uh, after retiring as a California campaign consultant, he also worked on, as a uh, an activist on gay rights causes. He investigated the Mormon Church and the National Organization for Marriage and their campaign together to use 
California Prop 8 to repeal the state's same-sex marriage law, oh, way back when. His unsuccessful run for the GOP nomination in 2012 made him the first openly gay presidential candidate from either major political party in American history. He is also the subject of the documentary film Fred. Oh, Fred Carger, welcome back, my friend, to the broadcast. Well, thank you, Brad. Thanks for that very nice introduction. Well, I really appreciate you being here. And uh, you know what? And and as we've had uh, Heather on uh, a few times uh, recently, let me start with you. Uh, And we've got a lot of clips we can play from the debate last night if we want to get into that. Uh, I mean, if there's anything specific you'd like to call for, feel free. Uh, But before we get into that uh, red meat, so to speak, Fred, are you still a Republican at this point? And uh, very quickly, if so, why? (laughs) Well, I still am. It's uh, I'm hanging on by my fingers. It's tough. It's um, it's been a little discouraging on one hand, but then there are always a few bright stars out there to to give me a little bit of hope and to see that the uh, anti-LGBT rhetoric has uh, really toned itself down from four years ago when we're experiencing some pretty awful people, Michelle Bachman and mm. even Santorum was a little toned down yesterday. So I'm trying to change the Republican Party from within. When I got started as a teenager in the 60s, it was a very different Republican Party, and it was around that time when some of the uh, Dixiecrats like Strom Thurmond and Jesse Helms came in and mucked it up, and we're still recovering. But I'm hopeful that, that uh, there's uh, brighter days ahead and that we can, can get some people who will help uh, open up the party to minorities, to women, to the LGBT community, and really grow this party as we need to do if we're going to continue to be around for uh, another decade or so. Okay. Well, keep hoping, Fred. That said, uh, as a uh, and by the way, uh, like Jake Tapper last night, uh, who who moderated the debate for CNN. If you guys wish to challenge each other on any particular point, by all means, feel free to jump in, uh, Fred. Uh, and just for transparency's sake, here as a Republican, uh, still hanging in by your fingernails, uh, do you have uh, do you have a candidate here yet, Fred? I don't. Um, I'm kind of waiting to see if anybody emerges. But uh, what I've been doing is a super PAC, because when I was a little kid, I always wanted to grow up and run a super PAC. So I've got one. It's called Truth Squad 2012. And unlike most of the super PAC supporting candidates, ours uh, is opposing a candidate. And we've zeroed in on Mike Huckabee and have a lot more coming out on that, assuming he stays in the race and uh, continues to be viable. Interesting. Okay. I can't imagine why you'd want to go against uh, <laughs> uh, Mike Huckabee, Fred. Uh, okay. And, and, and just for uh, fairness and balance sake, Heather Digby Parton, I'm presuming you don't have a candidate yet, either in the uh, Republican or Democratic side for that, or maybe you do on the Democratic side. I don't, but I also work with a PAC uh, called Blue America PAC. Uh, we mostly support progressive congressional um, uh, contenders, mm-hmm. but we uh, did for two years ago <laughs> actually put up a draft Bernie Sanders page, and the PAC has endorsed him. Uh, I haven't personally, but uh, the PAC has, and so 
you know, I, uh, but as far as on the Republican side, I'm really, I have to say, my, my heart is with, with Donald Trump. Um, I, I really, <laughs> I really feel like he's the guy that they need to nominate and, and I'll be behind him and helping with that, uh, every step of the way. Well, Heather, you and I have actually talked, we talked on the day that Donald Trump got in, on the day that everyone was uh, regarding it as a joke, and you and I, uh, talked about this on this very show and said, no, I don't think this is any joke at all. Donald Trump represents uh, sort of 30 years of, uh, you know, the Republican id and what that party has now become. And in fact, that party, while the media was taking him as a joke, that uh, party has, in fact, embraced him in a serious way, uh, in a way that both you and I predicted. But let me uh, also introduce Desi Doyen. Our producer is also here with us today. She has been scrambling <laughs> to pull together clips from that, uh, what, uh, five, three, five hours of, uh, of debating yesterday? Yeah, three hours of debate. I just wanted to jump in yeah. really quick and, and agree with Heather that I am very glad that Donald Trump remains in the race. And, and personally, I would sort of like to see him get the nomination just so that the Republican Party can get its yayas out. Uh, Fred, you know, and, to just work out the, the the whole thing that's going on with them right now, the uh, the uh, the conflicts and everything. Just just get it out in the open and be done with it. Fred Carter, <laughs> doesn't uh, Donald Trump actually represent what the Republican Party has now become, and therefore shouldn't he rightfully receive the nomination uh, for 2016? <laughs> I think he might agree with you. I don't necessarily. <laughs> he is good for the the political process when you think about it. Another 22 million people tuned in an all-time world's record for CNN last night, and mm -hmm. 25 to the Fox debate. So I'm all for it. If, if he can create some interest and uh, the demographic uh, read on some of those numbers are pretty good, it's skewing a little younger, uh, more power to him. But we'll see what happens. I, I, I kind of miscalculated with that first debate. I thought he didn't do particularly well, and, of course, he's been, he doubled his poll numbers in the last month. So you've yep. um, got to be careful what you wish for because he is, and kind of toning down his uh, rhetoric a little bit, and we shall see. But I think it's going to be a bit more of a horse race after last night. We saw a little livelier Bush. We saw a few other candidates kind of step up to the plate. And, and the great mystery, Carly Fiorina, I, I, I can't wait to see what she's going to do next. But uh, she's going to be one to watch. Let me ask this before we get into the specifics of the candidates and so forth. Uh, and I'll, I'll throw this open to both of you guys. Um, three hours, three hour debate, actually five, if you include the, uh, the, the, the kids table debate, uh, with, with four candidates, uh, earlier in the evening, uh, talking about Republicanism in prime time, uh, and again in the days that followed as, as Fred Carger points out. So in theory, that's a good thing for Republicans. So let me ask, uh, first I'll ask, uh, Heather this, uh, isn't it somewhat shameful and embarrassing that Democrats Democrats are not holding debates yet and talking about their ideas and thus they're not being talked about in the corporate media? Or is it a good thing for Dems considering what seems to be going on on the Republican side of this? Well, I, you know, I think it, it, it is a good thing for Dems that the Republicans are doing what they're doing. I mean, I think ultimately that's going to accrue to the Democrats' benefit. But mm -hmm. I don't think it's a good idea for them to just leave a vacuum out there. As Fred said, this is bringing in a lot of people, and it's very, you know, there's the entertainment 
quotient, which you and I have talked about in depth with Donald Trump, and I think that even you can add Carson into that and Rand Paul. There's, you know, this is a very entertaining group. Let's just put it that way. I mean, even even the ones that are you would not normally have thought of as being entertaining. Um, you know, public figures in this group, it becomes something that's kind of a compelling watch. And, you know, if you're bringing in new people and this is all they're hearing, this becomes then the baseline for what the political race, for what the presidential race is going to be about. And that, I think, is really unfortunate. I mean, they, they barely talked about economics last night and or global warming or you know any number of issues that people really do need to hear about and there was a tremendous emphasis on a lot of junk frankly that i don't think is actually <laughs> very uh good for the political system and i'm not sure that uh um, jake did anybody any favors by sort of creating this i mean it was entertaining but it wasn't really illuminating so i do think the democrats should probably reassess their uh, ideas about doing debates i understand why clinton doesn't want to she's a front runner and front runners never want to debate but she should anyway and i don't think it would hurt the democrats in, in the least to be a little boring i, I think well, there are plenty about people out there who might find that uh, refreshing well and frankly the longer she is not debating uh and they're not talking about what she's saying in debates her polls are slipping because the only thing they're talking about is the the, the nonsense about email her email server and that stuff instead of talking about what they might be discussing in a debate but as far as the content of uh of of the debate last night uh bernie sanders does agree with you uh heather parton uh the uh, he said the in a statement that the evening was really pretty sad this country and our planet face enormous problems and the republican candidates barely touched upon them tonight and when they did they were dead wrong on virtually every position they took the republican party cannot be allowed to lead this country uh, Fred Carger, as uh, as Desi Doyen here can attest <laughs> to you, uh, if anything ever goes wrong in Texas, because she's from Texas, uh, I pretty much blame it on her on this show. Since <laughs> I can't blame Rick Perry anymore. Well, that's right. That's this right. She's off the hook for that this week. But uh, since you're the Republican here, uh, Fred Carger, I'm going to blame everything uh, that has to do with Republicans on you. Sorry in advance, but. Uh, the Republican Party cannot be allowed to lead this country, says Bernie Sanders. They didn't talk about uh, the economy, uh, much on climate change, much on uh, voting rights, and so much more. Uh, should that be a should that be a concern to the country? Well, that's really a, a Jake Tapper's responsibility and the other two moderators. Uh, mm -hmm. So. I mean, they can obviously, and we're doing it plenty last night, changing the subject of their questions to get out some of their points. But um, I think they covered a lot of territory. There should be some kind of federal law in place that a political debate should be no more than two hours. Yes. But <laughs> not for, for much more government regulation, but I think in that case it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was too long, and I'm sure the viewership just evaporated very quickly. But we did get a lot of issues. We saw a very diverse group of Republicans, much more diverse than the Democrats running. Uh, we've got you know, Indian-American, African-American, a woman, uh, two Cuban-Americans, and even a southern white male. So that's pretty diverse for our party, and, um, and that was encouraging. And it's, it's you know, age-wise and everything else, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a good showcase, and it's great to get the discussions out. Hillary Clinton... 
I think, made a, a fatal error in, in running her campaign, uh, starting to run her campaign in April. She should have waited till about now or even next month because she's been beat up and, and as a candidate, which she wouldn't have been if she'd still been seriously considering running or start an exploratory committee. So she's just kind of left herself vulnerable. And by the time her debate happens next month, I'm sure we'll have Joe Biden in the race, who I think of all the candidates running both parties, he looks the most presidential hmm. and involved uh, like him. But it's going to be a horse race on both sides. And of course, for political junkies like the three of us, what could be better than that? <laughs> uh, well, I, but I, you're right. I guess you're right, um, Fred Carger. Uh, can either one, since you brought up diversity of this field, and, and let me just uh, respond. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about this uh, Republican field as a as a defer, as diverse, but also having a deep bench, a lot to choose from. Uh, I find that completely wrong. I find <laughs> them uh, very lightweight, uh, not a lot to choose from. But... Here's something that has mystified me that I have been actually wanting to ask you, Heather, about this, and I'll let you, Fred, ring on in, in on this as well. But I've been wanting to ask you, I don't get it. I understand why Donald Trump has soared to the top of the polls. I really do. What I don't get is Ben Carson following now not that far behind. So, uh, Heather, do you have an explanation for that that you can help me understand i i have one idea but i don't know if i'm right so i'll just open this up to the floor uh, start with you heather okay well i do have a theory and i think it's because you know there was always going to be a once trump made his his you know debut and soared up in the polls and became the front runner there was always going to be an anti-trump and i think people expected that was going to be um, a, you know, a mainstream candidate, maybe Jeb, maybe maybe Rubio, maybe Walker, Kasich, you know, one of those guys that would, would that the normal people, <laughs> the non-Trump people, would uh, gather around and, and boost up to be the, you know, the one true mainstream candidate. But I don't think that's what people in the Republican base, and, uh, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, people like California Republicans who are basically sane. I'm talking about Cali about Republicans in the rest of the country mm -hmm. who they're looking at uh, purely on a stylistic basis. And Carson is just as extreme as Trump. He is just as out there. And, in fact, he's very much kind of a spear theorist. He's a guy who, you know, is out there in Alex Jones territory in a lot of ways. Um, but his his attitude and his personality is very low key, very deliberate, and he is a truly impressive person. His his uh, personal story is by far the most compelling uh, among the group. He's a guy who you know he he can stand toe to toe. I don't care what Donald Trump says <laughs> about him being you know he's an okay doctor. The guy is a world renowned pediatric neurosurgeon. So there's just no way around that. Well, he, so for he the, might be... the sane people, I think he is for the moment the uh, anti-Trump. Now, I don't know how well, how much that's going to hold after last night, because I don't think he uh, came through as the anti-Trump last night. And uh, if Fred Carger, uh, do you agree with her assessment? Because I, I find him, I, I realize he's a renowned neurosurgeon, but I find him to be, um, frankly, kind of a dope. I really am incredibly unimpressed with Ben Carson, and I'll uh, I'm going to chalk this up, and you can tell me I'm wrong. You can tell me uh, this is offensive. I'm going to chalk this up to uh, white Republican guilt, uh, akin to what uh, what also propped up Herman Cain back in 2012. Tell me I'm wrong. 
I, I think um, I would disagree with both of you, actually. I, I, I don't think he is the anti-Trump because he's benefit, benefiting by the kind of the anti-Washington um, support, it looks like. And he and Trump and, of course, Fiorina to some extent. There's a, a lot of, I mean, to, to have that kind of support for those three, they must really hate Washington, I figure. And, and the, that Ben Carson really worries me. And there I agree with you, Brad. I mean, I don't know, when he closes his eyes for a <laughs> little longer than normal, I don't know what is going on in that mind of his. But yeah, he seems like a uh, very unstable kind of guy. He has that very soft-spoken, methodical way of speaking. But I don't think I'd want him operating on some child's brain even. I just The guy just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I, I admire his success in life and let him stay in medicine. But um, I, I would think that a lot of the Republicans in these polls, and don't forget if you're you know, 20, 25 million people watching these debates, that's still a small percentage of uh, the Republicans that are being surveyed. And I don't know if, if the Republican Party is even aware that he's African-American. And we, we saw that with Tom Bradley back in 1982. We saw it with Herman Cain. I don't think there's a lot of these Republicans, because what's left in this Republican Party so many more reasonable moderate Republicans have left, have fled to either the Democratic Party, another party, or in California, there's no political party. And that's where we're seeing most people go, the moderates like myself. It's, it's hard to, to stick around. So I think that, um, that the, the far right in the Republican Party, if they found out that uh, Ben Carson was African-American, <laughs> Uh, might change their their vote to someone else. <laughs> I, I truly believe that. And well, course, I think that I think that's true. Gets, the more the more they'll be aware. But I think his substance is just is very. Um, it, it just really disqualifies him from from even seeking this office. I, I, and I'm shocked that he has these kind of numbers. I'm going to take a quick break, but Heather, you had a a, a response for real quick. Well, I, w- I was just going to say that I think it's true that that the fact that he's African American, I think, would would probably preclude him going much further than he is i mean i hate to i hate to be that cynical but um i i really do believe that 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 is a disqualifying thing for for him it, with this republican base that is you know the, this far right base uh that that is out there that's going to be picking um the nominee because as fred says you know moderate republicans they're just they're really they're very much minority if they exist at all and uh, they're not going to be picking the nominee. Now, it may be that these hardcore, uh, you know, right-wing Republicans will sober up a little bit and decide they'd like to win, in which case they will pick someone who is a little bit more acceptable. But I don't know that that's going to happen. I mean, they could pick Ted Cruz, I think, very easily. Let's see if we can find someone who may be more Ah. acceptable. Hang, hang, Sit tight, Fred. Hang on. We're going to take a very quick break and come back with more of our broadcast special coverage of CNN's Republican debate with our panel, Heather Digby-Parton and Fred Carger and even Desi Doyle. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. 
You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. back to your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, uh, 11, 15, 17 candidates, I don't know, tr- heading for that open door at the White House, uh, vying for it on the Republican side for the nomination. Uh, we are speaking about uh, the uh, Wednesday night debate, uh, the CNN Republican debate in Simi Valley at the Ronald Reagan presidential library my guests are heather digby parton the great heather digby parton and the also excellent fred carger former uh, republican presidential uh, candidate himself from 2012 uh, all right let's get into uh, some of these clips uh fred carger uh, actually you both mentioned uh, trying to find a candidate among this field that would be acceptable uh to the country to the party um and uh, Carly Fiorina, uh, well, let's. she did very well in the first debate, at least according to the polls. She seemed to be somewhat competent last night. Uh, I want to play a clip of her talking about, uh, this is clip number 17, Desi Doyen, uh, talking about the military. This is Carly Fiorina last night. We need the strongest military on the face of the planet, and everyone has to know it. So she uh, and also if you have uh, clip number three there as well, uh, Des. Having met Vladimir Putin, I wouldn't talk to him at all. We've talked way too much to him. What I would do immediately is begin rebuilding the Sixth Fleet. I would begin rebuilding the missile defense program in Poland. I would conduct regular aggressive military exercises in the Baltic states. I'd probably send a few thousand more troops into Germany. Vladimir Putin would get the message. Uh, Heather Parton, much as uh, Fred uh, Carger has to uh, answer for all Republicans, let me let you answer for all women here today. Uh, <laughs> on Carly Fiorina, uh, she she was incredibly muscular on defense issues and among a field of very uh, muscular men when it came to defense issues. She seemed to want to try to top them. Uh, is that something that a woman must do when she's running for an office like president? Does she have to go even further than the men to prove just uh, how tough she is? Or how would you explain how muscular Carly uh, uh, Fiorina was last night in the debate? Well, I think that's probably an element of it. But if you listen to all the other ones other than um, Rand Paul and John Kasich, she wasn't that much more muscular, I would say. I mean, back in the early, in the Kitty debate, Lindsey Graham was was pretty much declaring World War III, uh, and and <laughs> he was fulminating about you know the invaders off our shore that they're ready to come and kill us all in our beds. So I don't I don't know that she's really out of the mainstream there. But what she does have is you know she's got a very polished um, 
set of answers for these things, which come directly from her stump speech. If you've heard her whole speech, you've heard all this before, but she's very deft at using it in these debates, and she rattles off a list of, of you know, I, I'm the only one who's got a plan. Well, if you listen to her plan, it's, 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 complete, <laughs> it's complete nonsense. I mean, I think the world knows that we have the strongest military <laughs> the world has ever known, and everyone knows it. That's not an issue. Vladimir Putin, you know, I mean, we haven't talked to him too much. Talking to him is part, you know, go talk to Ronald Reagan uh, about talking to the Soviets or the Russians. This is that, that, that the era of not talking to people didn't work out really well for us when we didn't talk to Iran and North Korea. And look at, you know, what happened. So, uh, you know, the, the, the Sixth Fleet, it's humongous. It's a right. nuclear fleet. There's no reason to build it up and to spend more money on that. We have 40,000 troops in Germany. And if we want to build missile defense, I guess they figure that that'll scare Putin into, okay, I'm sorry, I won't, you know, I won't bother, I won't meddle in the Middle East anymore or in Ukraine or whatever she thought that was going to do. But I think he probably knows that it's going to take, you know, a couple of generations to ever have missile defense that works. So none of that makes any sense. But it doesn't matter because she said it with such conviction that everybody right. went, yes, there's there's our Margaret Thatcher. There she is. You Fred, know, so. uh, Fred Carger, uh, d- does, does this mean something to Republic as a Republican? I mean, do they really believe when uh, these uh, these folks are up there talking about that uh, Barack Obama has weakened us, has weakened the military? We still have not even close the size of our, our military to the rest of the world. Do they buy that? That's the kind of red meat that, that you want to throw out, particularly at a GOP debate like that. And they're in Ronald Reagan's library, for God's sake. Nobody threw more red meat out than he did, and nobody talked tougher at tough through strength. Uh, strength through uh, tough. What is that? I can't remember that. <laughs> Peace through strength, I Peace think, is what strength. he said. Thank you, Doug. There you go. Peace through strength. Up, but, you know, that, that uh, we kind of bluffed our way out of the Cold War, I think. He, he had that tough talk and, um, and money and... and his great ability to deliver speeches really helped get us out of that Cold War. So she was taking a page out of his book. I think it was very smart. She had some specifics, which I think was just whoever the last ex-military person, advisor she spoke to, probably gave her those four talking points, and she just said them aloud. And, and um, I thought she conducted herself well, but um, she had some specifics, and she came out of this strong. And I like the way she pushed herself into this debate. Don't forget she was the 11th candidate uh, and they were prepared to leave her out. I wrote a column yesterday for The Advocate about how tough it is to get into these debates and she put a little pressure on CNN when they left her off their initial list and and it worked great. I tried that desperately. There were four of us four years ago who were left off the round one. I'd wish they'd done kind of a B team like they did then because there's Gary Johnson, uh, former governor Mm -hmm. of New Mexico and Buddy Romer, former congressman and governor of Louisiana and then a sitting congressman Congressman Thaddeus McCotter of Michigan and I were always listed as those four that were left out. I was even uh, made the criteria to get in the Fox News debate names of Iowa, and they left, they left me out. They chose not to include me. And so that's a tough process. I think the debate system needs a lot of fixing. These networks control it. There's an excellent piece by Mark McKinnon, who's a great political strategist. He did for the uh, Harvard Kennedy Center, and um, it talks about the problems. I I think that's a whole area of discussion we need to talk about because CNN last night anointed these 11 candidates and, and delegated or relegated those four to the, the B, B team, and, and that's a problem. So 
I think that needs needs some uh, work and adjustment as well. Well, you know, everyone always complains about the debate formats, and and you, uh, Fred Carger, as a, a former presidential candidate, you certainly have every right to complain about the format in that you weren't allowed into those debates. That said. Uh, you know, the complaint is always, oh, these aren't really debates. These are glorified uh, press conferences, not even glorified, but, you know, joint press conferences where the media asks a question and then they move on. We need real debates where they're really talking to each other, debating with each other. Well, that happened in the debate last night in Simi Valley. And immediately everyone complained about the fact that uh, uh, th- that. They were bickering, that it was nothing but bickering with each other. Well, they seem to want it both ways. Uh, Fred, which way should it be? Well, that's the way you do it when you have 11 people on stage. You can't ask everybody the exact same question and you know, unless you do it by a show of hands and have any kind of effective debate. But um, I, I just quarrel with the way they, they picked the, the star lineup there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, four years ago, I was ahead of, uh, of Newt Gingrich in, in the Harris interactive poll. I was ahead of Rick Santorum. I was tied with Tim Pawlenty and John Huntsman. So they arbitrarily left me out, and they they did that with two former governors and a congressman. And I think that needs reform, and I think we need to do something about that. The format is, as long as you have that large of a group on stage, is going to always be like that. They're trying to get the conflict going. They're trying to evoke an interesting response and, and, and personalize these questions, as Fox News did even more so, I think, in the first debate. They want, it's about the ratings. That's, that's it, period, that when the networks control the process. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the substance. You had Jeb Bush uh, sort of opening up a can of worms. I don't know if he did it or, or, or who did it, but they, you know, kind of relitigated, frankly, uh, the Iraq War last night. Uh, brought up a lot of topics that I was kind of uh, surprised that uh, particularly Jeb would want to uh, would want to bring up. Des, uh, uh, let's play clip number 13 here, if you have But I'm it. my own man. I'm going to create a strategy that's based on the simple fact that the United States needs to lead the world. The first thing that we need to do is to stop the craziness of the sequester, rebuild our military so that our so that we don't deploy people over and over again without the necessary equipment to keep them safe. Um. Don't deploy people over and over again without the equipment to keep them safe. Uh, and also, uh, number 15 here, and I'm going to go to you, Heather, uh, to get some thoughts on this. Number 15. When we, we pull back, voids are created. We left Iraq. We should have had a, a forces agreement to stay there with a small force. And instead of that, we politically and militarily pull back, and now we have the creation of ISIS. Okay, Heather Digby-Parton, a man oh by God. the name of Bush is upset. <laughs> That we're uh, sending people into battle without the proper uh, equipment and that we should have had a status of forces agreement to keep people there, keep our U.S. troops there for longer. Well, I'll just I'll make know, a sandwich and let you respond. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I could not agree more. <laughs> that it was such a good point that he made. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was his brother and, you know, Uncle Dick Cheney who originally sent in those troops with, with bad equipment. Remember, everybody, they, they had, didn't have any armored, uh, you know, didn't have their Humvees. proper body armor, right. their Humvees were, you know, it, it was terrible. You know, mm-hmm. we did that under the assumption that it was going to be, quote, a cakewalk. And, you know, they, even bringing that up is nonsensical for, for Jeb Bush. Uh, the status of forces agreement is just, that is one of the most infuriating things that I can imagine, because what happened there was is that Obama was left 
with a god-awful mess building <laughs> in Iraq, and that status forces agreement was in place. They tried mightily, much to the chagrin of peaceniks like me and probably you, Brad, uh, to to upend that status of forces agreement, but they could not get the Iraqi government to agree not to uh, hold American troops under their legal system, uh, which, of course, the Americans could never do. So there was no choice. They had to get out. The Obama administration wanted to keep troops there, and it would have been a political battle uh, with Democrats if he had gotten his way. And But it was definitely something that he wanted to do. And the idea, and this is... This by Dick Cheney in, in just the most, you know, infuriating way um, in his book and whenever he talks about how, you know, they left Iraq in good shape. Nothing could be further from the truth. Speaking of Iraq blew yeah. up the Middle East and we are now living with the consequences. Speaking of infuriating, let me uh, play uh, clip number 14. I'll ask Fred Carger about this. Your brother's administration gave us Barack Obama because it was such a disaster those last three months that Abraham Lincoln couldn't have been elected. You know what? As it relates to my brother, there's one thing I know for sure. He kept us safe. I don't know if you remember. Donald. And the crowd goes wild, Fred Carger. George W. Bush kept us safe, except for that little thing that happened in September of 2001 and the thing that happened for several years thereafter with U.S. troops who got killed. Um, and yet the Republicans accept that they believe George W. Bush kept us safe. So uh, explain yourself and your party, Fred Carger. <laughs> well, just two points on that. He obviously caught off guard with that uh, response and should have added, of course, uh, since 9-11. And that was an accomplishment. We didn't know what else was out there. And I commend uh, President Bush and, and President Obama both for keeping the homeland safe and secure to a great extent since, uh, since 9-11. And I think the crowd was really cheering because Jeb backed his brother. He spent the last uh, six, eight months distancing himself from his brother and his father, which is a very unnatural thing to do. And I understand their political motivations, but it's, it's just not a smart tactic. He needs to, to show that loyalty to the party and, and particularly to his, his brother. And I think uh, that's what a little bit of that was. Not that his brother's revered. Um, but certainly his dad is in that crowd, and I think that was kind of the um, underlying message that he was portraying there. Fred, I know i got to let you go uh, a little bit earlier than uh, Heather, uh, unless anything's changed and you're able to stick around. But uh, if you got to go, let me ask you this before you go, before we go to a break here. Uh, did, did that debate last night shake anything loose? Are we, uh, has this field narrowed itself in any way? Have the Republican Party, has the Republican Party solved any of their problems uh, via last night's debate? Or are we kind of where we were before the Wednesday night debate? I think Trump is going to be um, falling a little bit in the polls and Carson as well. And so we'll see who comes up. And it's, it's a horse race. This is just uh, debate two. There were 24 years ago. I think they're about six or eight this time. So a lot can happen. The public's really watching closely. And uh, of course, we see these poll numbers jump around so dramatically. Still, the um, none of the above is winning and, and undecided as, as they fluctuate so much. So I think we're going to we're going to have a, a long contest. This could go all the way till Utah in June again or or not. But I think it's a very healthy process. I think we have a lot to choose from on the Republican side and, and hopefully one more on the Democratic side. And I'm looking forward to the 
2016 um, election cycle. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give you a quick chance, Fred, to... Uh, did you have any response you'd like to offer to uh, Mike Huckabee and his uh, his defense of Kim Davis, the uh, Rowan C- uh, County, Kentucky clerk, who has been keeping her deputies... It's not about, frankly, her. Keeping her deputies from uh, allowing uh, marriage licenses to go out to same-sex couples, that's why she was thrown in jail. Any uh, response to Mike Huckabee before you go and his, uh, well, muscular defense of Kim Davis in last night's debate? Well, all I can say is um, what I said on MSNBC last week, I think he's unfit to even run for president. I suggested he drop out of the race for arm-in-arm, crying with reading her as she left jail, this lawbreaker who defies the United States Supreme Court. And here's a guy who has let out 1,033 prisoners from, uh, from Arkansas jails when he was governor, one of whom, Maurice Clemens, went and murdered four police officers in cold blood in Lakewood, Washington. And he never, ever reached out to any of those four families with any kind of uh, no, no remorse, never took any responsibility. Yet he cries with this uh, Kim Davis on the, the stage and in Grayson, Kentucky. So it just shows his character, the hypocrisy, and uh, this guy is not a nice guy like people say he is. I call him Mean Mike Huckabee. Wow. <laughs> Very good. Fred Carger, I- I'll uh, I'll let you go here. I really appreciate your time here today, and I, I hope you'll come back and join us more often in, in the future because it's always great to talk to you, sir. Likewise. Thank you, and thanks very much, Heather. All right, uh, that's Fred Carger. You can check out more about him at fredcarger.com, or you should follow him on the Twitters at Fred Carger. We're going to take a quick break and come back with much more broadcast. Uh, Heather Digby Parton will be sticking around with us here, as will Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your special coverage of the uh, debate number two or four, I don't know, depends on the way you count it, up in uh, Simi Valley at the Ronald Reagan Library. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Is that all there is to the circus? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? That's all there is, my friends. Then let's keep dancing. Yep, still dancing let's here on the Bradcast. The Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our special coverage of the latest Republican debate out here on Wednesday night in uh, Simi Valley, California. Uh, my thanks to Fred Carger, who had to run, but uh, Heather Digby Parton remains with us for our uh, final few minutes, as does. Desi Doyen. Um, okay, uh, Heather, uh, of, of course, uh, the thing that seems to have propelled uh, Donald Trump to the top of uh, the, to the top of the pack is his call to deport immediately 11 to 12 million undocumented immigrants, uh, claiming it's costing us more than two billion dollars a year. Uh And of course, as evidence shows, it would cost a hell of a lot more to actually get rid of those uh, undocumented immigrants uh, somehow. Uh, Carly Fiorina, uh, who I think may be the anti-Trump, as you described it, uh, Heather, uh, she had a uh, she had another explanation for uh, the the immigrant quote unquote problem. She says Democrats love this as an issue. Number 10. 
Why have Democrats not solved this problem? President Obama campaigned in 2007 and 2008 on solving the immigration problem. He entered Washington with majorities in the House and the Senate. He could have chosen to do anything to solve this, pro this problem. Instead, he chose to do nothing. Why? Because the Democrats don't want this issue solved. Ms. They want it to be an issue Ms. that they can use. <laughs> Digby, this was not solved, the immigration problem, because Democrats didn't want it solved. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I get it that why she would say that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, of that in politics. There is uh, a, you know, a, a certain strategy or tactic, I should say, of keeping certain issues alive in order to build fundraising and do all that stuff. In fact, on the right, they do it with abortion rights. This is really really worked well for them. This is not true in this case at all. Obama came in and unfortunately he did have, you know, a little something that was he had to deal with. It was called a world, global financial crisis uh, and an economic meltdown. And there was only so much that, that the president could take on at a given time. But the minute he got the chance, he certainly did try and do it. And it wasn't Democrats who stopped it. They were all of them in favor of it. It was the Republicans en masse who blocked uh, comprehensive immigration reform. So that's just, uh, you know, it's just plain wrong. Democrats would love to deliver on this because they would love to be able to cement their relationship with the Latino community in uh, America. It is, you know, pretend it's already a Democratic constituency, and this, this is a constituency that desperately needs this and desperately wants it, and the Democrats are not, <laughs> there is no margin in that for them in, quote, keeping the issue alive. All it does is demoralize, potentially demoralize a group of people that uh, they, you know, that they value in their, in their coalition. This is, this is not true. So, uh, you know, she said a lot of stuff that wasn't true last night. Uh, oh, not, no, not my Carly. Um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's talk. We've been, of course, uh, beating up on Republicans here, but let's uh, talk about a couple of things that I suspect uh, you may support, Heather Parton, that you may support, Desi Doyne, that I support and that may actually work well for Republicans uh, if these particular candidates can find their way to the general election. One is Donald Trump, who, uh, you know, Democrats act like they're salivating for him to be the nominee. I'm not so sure that's the case. He wants to raise taxes on hedge fund managers, uh, which is usually anathema for uh, Republicans. Um, but, you know, he thinks taxes ought to be higher. I think that will play well. He's standing by that. I think it will play well with uh, at least independence. Uh, and then Ben Carson, uh, this is actually uh, clip number 12, uh, Desi, uh, said something that seemed to my ears to make a whole lot of sense about the minimum wage. Uh, I was asked, should it be raised? I said, probably or possibly. But what I added, which I think is the most important thing, is I said we need to get both sides of this issue to sit down and talk about it, negotiate a reasonable minimum wage, and index that so that we never have to have this conversation again in the history of America. 
index the min- come up with a reasonable minimum wage, index it to inflation so that we don't have to have this argument. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, Heather uh, Parton, is, is, is your man Bernie Sanders calling for something like that? <laughs> I don't know, but he should be. It's a great idea, um, isn't it? Yeah, it's an excellent idea, and of course it should be. I mean, this is, you know, it's nonsense that we have to go through this all the time. It, and it's ridiculous. It's been proved over and over again that the minimum wage, you know, does not depress, you know, employment, and it doesn't cause people to be laid off. It doesn't. It just doesn't. And and they're even finding now in places like Seattle where they raised the minimum wage to $15, and it hasn't had any effect there either. So, you know, of course that's a common sense thing. And, you know, if Ben Carson were that commonsensical about everything, um, you know, I, I think that I would I would find him a compelling candidate. Unfortunately, he also is a guy who, you know, believes that we should, you know, initiate drone strikes on the border in caves where he thinks illegal immigrants are hiding. So, you know. Yeah, I guess you have to take the, the good with the bad. I, I guess the you, bad with the good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of uh, taking the good with the bad or the bad with the good, Rand Paul. And actually, I was surprised uh, uh, with Rand Paul. He actually had some uh, uh, some pretty cogent remarks last night. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's um, uh, on on Iraq, and he sort of pushed back at the idea of of going back into Iraq, which now seems to be... I, I can't tell. Uh, Heather, is this what the Republican Party wants? Do they really want to send troops back to Iraq before we get into Rand Paul and marijuana? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they do. <laughs> really? I think, I think they like that sort of thing. I honestly do. What they don't like is when it doesn't go well. And what they didn't like was George Bush you know, sort of whiffing on the war in Iraq and having it drag out. I mean, they want to go in, they want to quit victory, they want parades, they want to salute, they want everybody to say America's great. They love all of that stuff that goes with war. What they don't like is failure. So, you know, they're willing to, to I think there's enough distance between them and, and, and Bush's failure to, you know, get that get their blood up again and, and do this. And I think part of the problem for Jeb, and I don't think it's something he can ever overcome, is the fact that he is just not far enough away from that. I mean, it, 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 they, he reminds them of that, and that's not what they want to be feeling at all. They don't want to th- think about that. They want to look forward and say, yes, we can, you know, we're going to go take over the Middle East and knock some heads together and straighten this all out. You know, well, that's, that's how they look at that. Well, part. you know, even even Fred, who, who I love, Fred Carger, uh, you know, even he has allowed himself to believe that George Bush kept us safe. In his case, he says, oh, after yep. after 9-11. Uh, OK, but then we had this war uh, of choice, at least one war of choice. We lost 4,000 uh, U.S. troops. Uh, we had the anthrax attacks. All of these things that they seem to sort of conveniently just forget about. Uh, <laughs> I know. And, there, and the thing is, there's no evidence that anything was in the works beyond that 9-11 attack. I mean, we've, we've always been vulnerable to an attack by somebody at some point. I mean, there's nothing new about that, nothing new since 9-11. I mean, there's always been out there. But I think what these people think is that somehow or another the government, you know, they thwarted uh, a series of, of terrorist attacks, and, you know, so now we're okay. That just There just is no, no evidence of that. I mean, this was 
Osama bin Laden's big one-off. And by the way, remember when George Bush said, you know, I don't really think very much about him. You know, I don't care about right. him. He's <laughs> oh, so yeah. focused on going to, you know. And so, so it's not like it, it seems as though they were really, and, and these neocons, the people in his circle, were never very concerned about terrorism, by the way. This was just, as we know, he didn't he tell the, the guy who briefed him on August 6th Mm-hmm. That said, you know, uh, Bin Laden determined to to uh, to strike to in the United, the United States. States, and he said, "Yeah, you covered your ass." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, I do. You know. I, I do remember uh, very well the, him his comments about uh, I don't think about Osama bin Laden that much because that was one of the biggest stories, uh, or at least one of the first stories uh, at Bradblog.com that actually broke news. The White House had taken down that video had hidden it, had hidden a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, I remember from the, that. Remember that? From the White House yeah. web, website just before the 2004 election. All right, we got just a minute or so left, so let me get to this real quick. Uh, Rand Paul uh, sort of called out some of, his, uh, some of the other folks on stage, and I thought this was uh, legitimate in that, you know, they claim, these Tenthers claim that the Tenth Amendment uh, in the Constitution, if it's not specifically uh, defined for the federal government, then only states can make these laws. That's how they choose to define the Tenth Amendment, unless it comes to marijuana. And, uh, you know, then they really want the federal government to crack down. So Rand Paul called out his fellow Republicans on this. Clip number 18. I think one of the great problems and what the American people don't like about politics is hypocrisy. People who have one standard for others and not for, them, for themselves. The people who are going to, to, to jail for this are poor people, often African Americans and often Hispanics, and yet the rich kids who use drugs aren't. So I don't think that the federal government should override the states. I believe in the Tenth Amendment and I really will say that the states are left to themselves. I want to give that... Uh, Lame applause. Yeah, Desi Doyen, you are a huge stoner and pothead. So, <laughs> what's your uh, what's your response uh, to Rand Paul? On uh, no, I'm not. But thanks for saying so. Anyway, um, I I thought it was surprising that he actually tied in not just you know the idea of you know states' rights and being able to decide this, but the concept that there is a racial component to prosecutions of mm. drug crimes, you know, especially nonviolent drug crimes, you know, marijuana crimes. It's 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 a well-known fact that the higher number of, of folks that are prosecuted mm-hmm. and convicted and imprisoned for drug crimes are folks that are African-American. That is actually something that came up that it, 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 throughout the debate that I actually think after this election, there could possibly be some common ground on criminal justice Reform. You're hearing more and more from a lot of folks in the Republican Party, not just the libertarianish folks like Rand Paul, but others as well. Uh, Digby, is that a place where uh, maybe there will be some common ground and some legislation after this election? Well, I was quite hopeful on that, and and felt like we were actually moving toward one of those time periods where, you know, one of those moments where it's no longer something you can ignore that that, that something has to be done. It was just so outrageous, and the the the, the immense cost and the disparities were too obvious to overlook. And there were some people with real money, uh, including, by the way, the Koch brothers, who have been working on this issue. However, I am losing heart, and that is because what we're seeing now with this issue with these issues around uh, urban crime kind of coming up the murder rate in the cities and a certain hysteria that's building about violence against police I, I, let's just say I, I am no longer quite as optimistic because yeah. I know how the right wing works and the way they work 
they're going into this election uh, on a, on a, it's totally fear factor. It's about uh, insecurity. It's about being invaded by foreigners and and uh, you know home, being invaded in your home by criminals. And this is how they're you know this this is the zeitgeist on the right at the mm-hmm. moment. So I, I'm a little less optimistic than I was. But Rand Paul, I think, um, he you know I think he was he has discovered that he is not going to be the president of the United States. He'd been believing some, some D.C. Beltway hype about how he was the, the face of the new Republican Party. I think he's figured out that that's not actually true, that Donald Trump is more the face of the Republican Party, or maybe Ted Cruz. So he is going back to his father's, um, uh, you know, yeah. uh, strategy, which is to build the libertarian side of the Republican Party, which is really the appropriate role for him. And in fact, it's actually a good one. I mean, you know, I, I detest Rand Paul, but on these discrete issues, of you know, things like that, or, or on, on certainly on foreign policy, there there are you know surveillance, those kind of things. There are areas of common ground with him. So I'm glad to see him saying that stuff again, because for a while he was pretty much. Yep. He was he was being talk about being a hypocrite. I mean, you know, come yeah. on, he hasn't oh, had yeah. any room to yeah. Room to talk. Yeah, he kind of went full neocon uh, for a while, yeah. and we'll see if he uh, goes full neocon again, or if he chooses to stick with the Ron Paul wing of the party, uh, yeah. such such that he was supposed to represent. Okay, we gotta we gotta get out. We got a lot we didn't get to. My apologies for that. Amongst them, Desi Doyen was environmental issues. There was a question. Hey, that's an improvement that's just an improvement. in itself. But we'll talk about Ooh. that on our Green News Report <laughs> and on our next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. Uh, <laughs> my my thanks to uh, Fred Carger. You can and should follow him on the Twitters over at Fred Carger, and of course to the always great Heather. Digby Parton, you can and should read her not over, not only just over at her her blog at digbysblog.blogspot.com, but also her work pretty much every day. I think over at Salon, where she is a contributing writer, and follow her on the Twitters at Digby fifty six. Heather, thanks so much. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely, my pleasure. When's the next debate, Brad? I don't know, but you will be here the following day. How's that? I certainly will. I'll, I'll commit right now. <laughs> I, thank you. I'll take it. I'll look forward to it. Thank you, right. uh, Heather Digby Parton. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can always download them at bradblog.com and over at iTunes, where we hope you will give us a good review. Give us any uh, thoughts of your own. We are uh, Bradcast. You can email bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. All right, we will be back with you soon. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>